Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Warren Williams, where's Warren, our elder? He told me a great story this morning about his father-in-law. I thought you would be blessed to hear this, Warren. My father-in-law is, uh, has been in the hospital in Denver, uh, recovering from quite a few things, and uh, we were there visiting the other night, and his blood pressure went down to zero. And they, uh, they got us out of the room real quick, so out in the hall we were just quietly praying, and his blood pressure came back up again. They took him to intensive care, and he's been there for a couple days. But I just want to praise the Lord because prayer changes things, and, and it does. It, and you just know that. Prayer changes things. So in your life, and there's healing coming your way. There's healing here. There's healing in your body. There's healing that God wants to bring to you. And so in, in, the, uh, in the vine life form here, we just say, God, do it again. Yeah. Okay? Any of you out here that need a touch from the Lord, do it again, Lord. Bring healing to them. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for the blessing. To my father-in-law, thank you for the blessing to each person here today who has some kind of healing need in their life, in Jesus' name. Hey, let's do something about that. I appreciate Warren's prayer, but if you uh, need healing, would you just stand? All right? We'd like to do this here. We'd like to just ask the Lord to do this. Okay, those that are standing, if you're close by, just put your hand on their shoulder, and let's release the presence of the Lord. His love for them, bring healing. Just ask for healing right now. Break off of them anything that would be hindering their healing, any stress or anxiety, fears. If you're being prayed for and you need to forgive or there's any prompting of any sort, just release that to the Lord and receive right now the blessing of healing resting on you, his presence resting on you, because in his presence is healing. We receive this testimony uh, as, as a word that you want to do it again, that you want to bring healing to more people. And so we pray that in agreement for each one now that's being prayed for. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining in. The Luke uh, gave a handout uh, a few weeks ago. I think I was in Florida at that time, and it, when I saw it, it was so good. It's an intimate message from God to you, uh, my child, and it's all Scripture about what God has to say us. Uh, you may not know me, but I know everything about you and so forth, and it's just a beautiful thing. It's on the back table, so I just asked him if he'd put it back there again this week for those of you who didn't get it. It's just something, as we're growing in our identity, uh, it's a great way to affirm your identity through the Scripture uh, speaking to you. We've been uh, talking about uh, our spiritual family and covenant relationships, and uh, Luke and Jason have done a great job uh, in sharing in in these last few messages. I'm sure you've appreciated them like I have. Have you not? Uh, Jay is in uh, Oklahoma speaking, 
uh, some guys that were here for Resound asked him if he would come and teach them about creating a, an environment of worship. And so that's where he is today in Oklahoma speaking. I think he's been speaking all weekend. He's something like five times he said he had to speak. But he told me a story about a pastor who was here at Resound. I think he lives in New Mexico, if I'm not uh, right here. And the pastor said that ever since he's been to Resound, that that things lifted off of him and his spirit has been so much lighter and his outlook has been so much more positive and filled with hope and encouragement just as a result of being here. He said to Jason it was because of his experience here at Resound. So isn't that a great story? I just love stuff like that. This is a pastor, so that's going to influence his whole church. I really enjoy that. Now, this morning is more of a Bible study rather than a talk. So I'm preparing you before I start. Uh, Rather than asking you to just kind of sit back and take in whatever I say like I would in a talk, I'd rather ask if you would, would you be willing to position yourself to study with me, to do some work? Would you do that? All right, good. So let's start with 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. For we are the temple. We are what? Of the living God. Wow, we could almost stop right there. We are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will... This, is, this scripture is astounding. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I've felt him walking among us as we worship today. Just feeling his presence. And I will be their God, and they shall be my person. Oh, my what? That's a corporate word, meaning there's a corporate identity that he's talking about. He's talking about more than just an individual relationship, but a corporate relationship with his people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. That is, by the way, Holiness, that's the definition of holiness, being set apart from other things and set apart only unto him. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Is that beautiful or what? We could almost say amen and go home. But I have other notes here, so I'd like to go on. Now, three major images in Scripture all describe our corporate relationship with the Heavenly Father in which He lives. He, what? He lives. We are a temple, we're Christ's body, and we are a family. Those three images. And we've been talking about the image of a family, a spiritual family. Now, Gordon Fee writes in his book, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God, he writes this, it's so, it, it really sums up this whole idea of a spiritual family. And, and I wanted to take the time to read this paragraph. To be saved in the Pauline view means to become a part of the people of God, who by the Spirit, by what? The Spirit, are born into God's family. It's not something you decide to do in your mind and say, that's what I want to do. But the Spirit of God himself births your spirit, and you're born again and renewed, 
and you're born into the family of God, and therefore joined to one another as one body, whose gatherings in the Spirit form them into God's temple. Notice the gatherings are, are, are in the Spirit of God. That's why we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And some people get anxious when you talk about the Holy Spirit, thinking you're depreciating somehow the Father or the Son. But I can assure you, and Luke did a very good job about this a few weeks ago, they, they love each other, they build each other up, they recognize each other. There's no jealousy, there's no problem. When you recognize one, you recognize all. And so, so to recognize the work of the Spirit is giving honor to the Father and to the Son at the same time. So we're gathered in the Spirit, we, we are formed into God's temple, meaning He lives in us and He walks among us. Is this good or what? So God is not simply saving diverse individuals and preparing them for heaven. Rather, He is creating people for His name, among whom God can dwell, and who in their life together will reproduce God's life and character in all of its unity and diversity. So God wants to live among us so he can demonstrate his character through us. And, and it's not just individual, but it's corporate. It's learning. And this is counterculture to Western thinking because we're the rugged individualist. I mean, that's what we're built on, rugged individualism. Unfortunately, that's not the culture of the kingdom of heaven. The Trinity is our model. The Trinity is not comprised of three rugged individuals. They are in a spirit of unity, even though they're diverse. They are one in the spirit. That's what brings us together. It's, it's not, it, it, you know, theology is important, and theology is, is, is vital particularly true theology, truth. Of course, there's always a debate of what is truth, but, but the Holy Spirit is the one who transcends this and teaches us truth. So you can't do this without the Holy Spirit is my point. We can't have unity. We can't have God walking among us without the Holy Spirit. I could stop right now and just sing and worship thinking about this. Ephesians 3, 14, 15 says, For this reason I bow my knees, whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So our name, who we are, comes from our Father in heaven. Now, all of this has been my introduction to talk about the Father. And here's my question this morning. What is the Father like from whom we get our identity as a family. What is he like? A.W. Tozier in The Knowledge of the Holy says this, The gravest question before the church is always God himself. The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We were able to, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question? Here's the question. What comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. So I pause for a moment and ask you, what does come to your mind? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? 
I'm hearing some good answers out there. It's not always true that we think about God as love first and foremost, especially when we're in a fix. When we're in trouble, that's, that's what's going to really let you know what you think about God. <laughs> Are you there? See, when we're in trouble or there's a loss or a problem, what we think about God is is vital. That's what A.W. Tozer is pointing out here. And so if you see him as distant or demanding or angry, you know know that the world thinks God's mad at us, at his creation. You know that, right? Right? I mean, so so what do you think about when he comes to your mind? There's a psalm that says when you think about him, it should lead you to worship him. So there are many attributes of the nature of the Heavenly Father that are revealed in the fullness through Jesus Christ. We learn this in the Scripture, in the New Testament. But one character of God that I believe is foundational for faith in God and our relationship with each other is loving kindness. So that's what I want to talk about today. Everything has just been a setup to talk about the character quality of God as loving kindness. Now, the English words, it takes many English words to describe one Hebrew word here that's used for loving kindness. So here's the English words that kind of help us get this idea and get our heads around this one word called loving kindness. Gentle and steadfast mercy, compassion, unfailing love, and kindness. We just sang today, your love never fails. It never gives up. never runs out on me. That's another way of saying, Lord, you are filled with loving kindness. There are 175 references to the word loving kindness. 175. This is not just a passing idea here. This is a central idea that God wants us to understand about his character, his nature. And when you go back to the law of first mention, in other words, where is this, first, where is this word first used in the Bible? in order to get a better understanding of that word, so you see how it's used. And the insight that we gain here is is tremendous when we look at Genesis 19 uh, about the story of Lot and Abram. This is where we first learn about this word loving kindness that God wants us to understand so much. And the story is that uh, Abram took his nephew Lot with him on his journey by faith, seeking a city made without hands. And he took his nephew with him, and God said, I'm going to prosper you, Abraham, wherever you go. And the fact is, he prospered so much that uh, Lot and Abraham traveling together, their flocks and their herds, everything prospered so much, they started to get into conflict with each other. You know, there was too many uh, on the same land, in the same place. <laughs> There's so many thoughts about that that we could apply today, but I'm passing on that. So 
So Abram said, look, this conflict just doesn't work between the two of us here. And uh, obviously Lot was not one to yield. But Abraham, Abram, before he was Abraham, he yielded and he said, you choose one way and I'll go the other way. So we can see the generosity and the faith in Abram. And in Lot, we can see uh, this is a guy who's out for himself because he chooses the fertile crescent, the fertile land to live in. And the scripture says in Genesis thirteen twelve, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as, and here's a city that you all know uh, when, when I say it. Do you see it on the screen? No. It, it's, a, it's a city called Sodom. It's an immoral place. So what we're learning about Lot is he's a little bit of a rascal. He's, he's contentious with his uncle. He's not honoring and deferring. He chooses the best fertile places to, to uh, live, and he chooses an immoral place. And so God, God demonstrates his loving kindness to Lot as he settles in Sodom. And so here's where I'm going to read the scripture, Genesis 19, 15 through 18. Let's learn more about Lot and what happens here. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged, by the way, just a couple verses before this, Lot tells his sons, or son-in-laws, that the angels of the Lord have come and said, leave this city because it's going to be destroyed. And his son-in-laws said, uh, he's jesting. That tells us more about Lot. They didn't take him seriously. I mean, he, he's not... Apparently, he didn't have much authority by the way he lived, that they'd take him seriously. Okay, now verse 15. And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying... Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Oh, I mean, this guy needs to get a clue, doesn't he? He's been, if you've read the story, the angels of the Lord have come, and there's, they've been through all kinds of stuff up to this point. And still, as the Lord is trying to save him, he, it says he's hesitating. He's not cooperating. We never have that problem with God, do we? When he's trying to save us. So the man seized his hand in the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. Notice this phrase, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. Was it because of Lot's conduct? Was it because Lot deserved it? It is because God chose to do this in his conversation with Abram. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. And it came about when they had brought him outside that one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. And do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains lest you be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. (laughs) You're consistent, aren't you, Lot? Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have magnified, and here's the word, first use of the word, magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. You see the use of this word loving kindness, what it's all about? It's not about us. It's about who the Father is. It's not about what we do. 
It's about who the Father is. It's about his character. It's about his nature. It's about his choice to love us. I'm going to read a couple New Testament scriptures here in a little bit that will help us affirm what this means. But let it stand right now for us to understand that the Lord's loving kindness is something that he has chosen to place upon us despite our conduct or what we do. Psalm 103, 4 says, The Lord redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. So spiritually, you're walking around crowned with loving kindness and his mercy on you. That's what's over you. That's what's over your head, over your life. His loving kindness and his mercy. Now, I told you there's 175 references. We're still studying, right? Are you still with me? We're still studying. We're working here. There's 175 references. So I think we can be done in the next three hours if we... Actually, I'm just going to look at a few, okay? This is where the study part comes. There's many, many references to the Lord's loving kindness in the book of Psalms. These are songs. They sang about the loving kindness of God. Psalm 5-7 tells us that the awareness of his kindness is, a, is abundant and will lead you to worship him. Psalm 23-6 says he's good and kind to us every day, not just when we think we're being good. It will follow us into eternity also. Psalm 25-7, because our Father is good and we can be confident that our... I'm sorry, let me read it again. Because our Father is good, we can be confident that our past failures are not on his mind. (laughs) He sees us in Christ. So when he's thinking about you, he's not thinking about your failures. Wow. Psalm 31.7 tells us that his loving kindness becomes our source of joy and gladness when our soul becomes troubled. Whenever we're troubled, his loving kindness as we think about it, is available to us to bring joy and gladness to our heart. Psalm 33, 5 says, The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. That means His loving kindness is limitless. There's no rationing of it to us. Psalm thirty-three, eighteen: Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness. And that word hope means wait on His loving kindness. He's just waiting for opportunities to be kind to us as we look to Him. You wonder how many times have we missed his loving kindness because we're not fixed on him and looking to him and asking him. Psalm forty-four twenty-six. it's because of his kindness that he acts on our behalf to help and redeem us. I had a lady come up and ask for prayer for healing after the first service. And I prayed from her. I prayed for her and she prayed receiving from this perspective, from the loving kindness of the Lord. Not anything she would do or could do to deserve healing. It's because our Father, His character is loving kindness, so we can ask for it. He's waiting for us to ask so He can demonstrate it. Psalm 51, we're aware of, uh, many of us know who know the Bible know about Psalm 51 as David uh, repenting from his sin with Bathsheba when he committed adultery. And so David sings this song. This is a song he made up. 
And he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. David is counting on the Father's loving kindness to remove his sins. Psalm 63, 3, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise thee. Years ago, when we were singing scripture songs, we turned this into a song and we'd sing it. How many of you know it? Thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands unto thy name. Psalm 86.15, But thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in what? Loving kindness and truth. Those scriptures are not up there, I see. I like it the way our elder Warren Williams says, God's not mad at you. Good news. Psalm 103.11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. How high is that? How great is that? Psalm 109, 21, Because he wants to be known for his kindness and his goodness, we can ask for him to deliver us. Now, one last psalm, Psalm 136. And we can't put it up there. Is that right, Stephen? We have it? Oh, good. Stephen came to me and said, I, I can only put up a few verses at a time. I said, no, put them all up together, just, just together. He said, they won't be able to read it. I said, that's fine. Here's the point I'm trying to make. I'm trying to make a point of how long this psalm is. It's 26 verses. So it's a long song. And every other line says... For his loving kindness is everlasting. So up there, every other line is his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. So you just go through, you go through verse after verse, 26 of them. You get down to to the end. Who remembered us in our low estate and has rescued us from our adversaries. Verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. Now, when I was a young man, I attended a church that did a responsive reading. And I was raised Baptist. So I didn't think much of that. Responsive reading, you know, this rote thing. It's like, oh. So I I went through the exercise like this. For his loving kindness is everlasting. For his loving kindness is everlasting. For his thinking about what I was going to do in the afternoon. For his loving kindness is everlasting. You know what? You, you understand what I mean? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I, I was busy being critical instead of engaging what the Lord wanted me to learn at that moment. I'll never forget attending a Presbyterian church with another pastor. They were singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. 
And he and I were the only two with our hands lifted up. We were getting it. Oh, my, you fortresses are God. Sorry about the reference to another church that way. That, uh, I didn't mean that. But um, the point is that this is a song that you, when you're done with this song, hopefully you get it. His loving kindness is everlasting. Again, the question, what is the father of our family like? What's he like? What do you think of when you think of God? Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Here we're going to the New Testament. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great what? Love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our sins, like Lot, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Man, we get to shout in here in just a little bit. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we are in our spirit being. In order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Man. Glory. I mean, this is, this is bigger than our head. This is, this is our spirit connecting with the Father of spirits. You see, the reason I wanted to talk about His loving kindness today is because accepting and receiving our Father's love is based on our understanding of His loving kindness. Accepting and receiving the Father's forgiveness is based on our understanding of His loving kindness. Accepting and receiving all of His gifts, including the Holy Spirit, are based on an understanding, a right understanding of His loving kindness. It opens the door to healing, freedom, deliverance, salvation, blessing. All these things are opened up to us as we realize His loving kindness is everlasting. It never ends. And a lot of us can identify in our life with Lot in the sense that we don't always get it right. But God has a way of choosing us in love to qualify us when we feel disqualified. So we can feel disqualified and others can think we're disqualified because of our failures. But that doesn't, God doesn't disqualify us because his loving kindness is greater than our failures. That's the good news of salvation. That's the good news of the gospel right there. (laughs) A right understanding of the Father's loving kindness will give you grace to extend it to others, those that 
don't seem deserving. It will directly affect how you relate to your spiritual family and your approach as you minister to others. Now, I want to close with this story. And I'm going to run just a little bit over. So uh, as soon as I'm done, if you have children, if you go get them. But this story takes four minutes. Uh, A picture of a, a celebration there of Gainesville State players as they douse the head coach, Mark Williams, in celebration. But you're going to be surprised at what they're celebrating. There was an unusual high school football game played in Grapevine, Texas. The game was between Grapevine Faith Academy and the Gainesville State School. Faith is a Christian school, and Gainesville State School is located within a maximum security correction facility. Gainesville State School has 14 players. They play every game on the road. Their record is 0-8. They only scored twice all season. Their 14 players are teenagers who have been convicted of crimes ranging from drugs to assault to robbery. Most of them had families who had disowned them. They wore outdated, used shoulder pads and helmets. Faith Academy, those you're seeing in the picture, was 7-2 and two for the season. They had 70 players, 11 coaches, the latest equipment. Chris Hogan, the coach that you see in the middle, the head coach of Faith Academy, knew that the Gainesville team would have no fans and it would be no contest. So he thought, what if half our fans and half of our cheerleaders for one night only cheered for the other team? He sent out an email to the faithful asking them to do just that. Here's the message I want to send. I want you to send, Hogan wrote. I want to send a message to them, to the other team. You're just as valuable as any other person on the planet. Some folks were confused and some thought he was nuts. <laughs> I can identify with that. One player said, Coach, why are we doing this? Hogan said, Imagine you don't have a home life, no one to love you, no one pulling for you. Imagine that everyone pretty much had given up on you. Now, imagine what it would mean, uh, or imagine what it would feel like and mean to you for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. The idea took root. On the night of the game, imagine the surprise of those 14 players who took the field and there was a banner the cheerleaders had made for them to crash through. The visitor stands were full. The cheerleaders were leading cheers for them. The fans were calling them by their names. Isaiah, the quarterback, middle linebacker, said, I never in my life thought I would hear parents cheering to tackle and hit their kid. (laughs) Most of the time, when we come out, when we come out, people are afraid of us. You can see it in their eyes, but these people are yelling for us. They knew our names. Faith won the game, and after the game, the teams gathered at the 50-yard line to pray. That's when Isaiah, the teenage convict quarterback, surprised everyone and asked if he could pray, and he prayed, Lord, I don't know what has happened, so I don't know how or who to say thank you to. But I never knew there were so many people in the world that cared about us. On the way back to the bus under guard, Each one of the players was handed a burger, fries, a Coke, candy, a Bible, and an encouraging letter from the players from Faith Academy. The Gainesville coach saw Hogan, grabbed him hard by the shoulders, and said, You will never 
know what your people did for these kids tonight, you'll never, ever know. As the bus pulled away, all the Gainesville players crammed to one side and pressed their hands to the window, staring at those people they'd never met before, watching their waves and smiles disappearing into the night. It's because of one man who had it in his heart to be kind to a bunch of kids who felt abandoned and undeserving. (laughs) Do you see the analogy? That's our Father in Heaven. It's because of our Father in Heaven saw a bunch of abandoned orphans. He decided to be kind to us and send His Son Jesus forgive us, to die for us and to forgive us of all of our sins and save us. That's the Father. That's the kind of Father we have. It's amazing. It's amazing. Over the years, I've heard people say that they have to leave the church for shame issues. Maybe they've had a divorce or they've had a falling out with somebody or there's been some kind of issue that they don't want anybody to know or anybody to talk about. And I just it grieves my heart as a pastor to think that anybody would think they have to leave our fellowship, our family, because of shame. Jesus has taken care of all that. You can never be more right than when you stay in the middle of God's loving kindness and His family, His people, where the Spirit of God dwells among us and let us take away your shame. (laughs) That's who we are. That's my life. That's the kind of church, that's the kind of family we, we are. So, your failure is not on our mind. Your redemption is. Your shortcomings are not on our mind. What's on our mind is how can we lift you up and show you a father we have discovered loves us regardless of our performance, regardless of who we are, what we've done. It's because of who he is. And we would like to introduce you to him because he's good and his loving kindness is everlasting. Yes, let's stand and praise Him for it. Let's give Him praise. Let's praise Him for who He is. We praise you, God, for who you are. We praise you for your goodness, for your loving kindness. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.